had a 10th grade history teacher, and he would always use this expression. He would say, repetition is the best teacher. And he said that all the time, and that's the only thing I remember from his history class, all right? That, I don't remember any history that he taught. His name was Mackie Moore. remember his name. But I don't remember anything other than him repeating that phrase, repetition is the best teacher. And it really is true that repetition is a great teacher for us. In fact, think about some of the things in your own household that are maybe your rules that you've repeated over the years and how that maybe it's just natural that your kids or that you respond. Like for us, I think about, you know, we've always said, you know, lock the door when you leave. Lock the door when you go out. Well, it never fails that Harrison's so trained that when he comes in the back door, he'll lock the door and sometimes we'll be outside like knocking like, Harrison, man, let's in. All right, we're out here because he's so like trained to lock the door. The other one was Amelia can tell you, take your shoes off at the door, right? You, you always took your shoes off at the door when you come in. Uh, another one that's big for me is like, don't carry a knife or scissors and run or have it pointed up. You know, don't do that. And then when I trained my kids to drive, it was make sure you always look twice at an intersection that one extra look will save your life. And so you have these things that we say in our households that we create uh, habits and they create routines because we repeat these things over and over again. Well, as Jesus gets to the final portion of his farewell discourse, and this has gone on for, uh, it'll be for five chapters, four chapters of teaching, and then the next chapter will be his prayer. And so this is the final section of his teaching, and he repeats some things that he's told them throughout this, because he knows that these things are critical, essential for their spiritual survival over the next days and their lifetime. And so... I want us to see from Jesus' example that we have to, in our households and our personal lives, create good rhythms and routines for the things that really, really, truly matter in life, not only this life, but eternal life. And because the truth is, we know it, we see it more now than ever, that the devil is active at trying to destroy our society, our home. He's trying to destroy our churches. He's trying to destroy the institution of marriage. And specifically, he's trying to destroy your marriage. He's trying to destroy your family. Now, I don't want to give the devil too much credit here because Scripture always balances out that the devil is our adversary, but also our biggest enemy oftentimes is our flesh, is ourselves. And so we, would, we are drawn to these things because what's inside of us is off or not right or not plugged in correctly with God. But the devil is doing everything in his power to make you fail spiritually, And he wants to fill you up with so much anxiety and stress and worry over this culture that you're ineffective for his kingdom. In fact, uh, you know, statistics are statistics. Sometimes, you know, believe him, you you never know. But psychologists say that stress is at an all-time high, all right? I think we probably would agree with that one, all right? Distress is just, it's everywhere. We're just, we're feeling it. And the sad thing is, And I think Jeremy could attest to this, being a youth pastor with the younger generation, and he talks about this sometimes, this how that the pressure on this younger group, this younger age group, 12 to 25, the highest rates of depression. I mean, I don't know if you remember 12 to 25. That was a long time ago, but I don't remember that time being a time of depression and sadness. It was like taking on the world, right? It was like starting my career, high school was great, just fun, not really having a lot of concerns, but yet our society today, I mean, we look around and it feels like that the devil is winning because of what's going on around us. But here's the passage today 
that God wins, okay? Jesus wins the day. And while it may not feel like it at the moment, Scripture says Jesus is winning and he will win. And to sum up his teaching, the very last verse, I'm going to start with the last verse and then we'll go back and work through. A very familiar verse for those who study the Bible. Jesus said in verse 33, I've said these things to you, to his disciples, that in me, there's the union of Christ, we've talked about our union, that in me you may have, what? Peace. In this world, you will have tribulation, all right? It's going to happen. There's going to be distressing things and tough things and difficult things. You're going to have tribulation, but he says, but take heart because I have overcome the world. I've overcome the world. I've been alive for 52 years now, believe it or not, right? And, and during this time, I've been 10 years. I've been your teaching pastor. For 27 years, I've been in vocational ministry. Never before have I seen a time like today where people are under the pressures that they're under. And there's so much in the world that is just distressing us if we allow it to. But here's the thing I've also concluded in my years of ministry and in my years of life. More now than ever, that Jesus is what we just sang. He is our rock, he's the foundation, and he's the answer to the problems that our society and that people have. To your family, the answer is Jesus Christ. Not to make that too simple, just rub a little Jesus on it, but when we base our lives and build our lives upon Jesus, we can trust him that no matter what comes, that we can find peace and joy and perspective. And so I think in this life, we don't need to necessarily master a bunch of things. But I think we do need to be mastered by a few things if we are going to build our lives upon Jesus Christ. And while there's more than just the things that he gives us in this last few verses of the farewell discourse, these things are amazing. And I want to encourage you, implore you, develop habits and rhythms around these things. So let's pray, and we'll look at chapter 16, verse 25 through 33. Father God, this is your word that you've given to us, breathed out by the Holy Spirit to your prophets and to your apostles. And God, this word has endured the time heresies. It's endured people who want to destroy this word and rid it from our society. Yet today we stand unashamed speaking it as truth, God. And I pray that today as we talk about how your word works in tandem with the Holy Spirit. I God, I pray that believers here will be awakened to the truth because the Holy Spirit is actively working and they've opened their minds and hearts to what you have to say for us today, God. Help us not just to leave out unchanged, God, but I pray that today that we will truly, truly be changed and start some new patterns and habits in our life around these truths. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week was a great week if you weren't here. I think most of you were because this place was packed out. Ray Dash preached. And just an incredible time where he talked about how that Jesus would turn the disciples' joy into sorrow. And he said, in a little while. All right? Something's happening. Something's coming. And we're going to see it again today. There's going to be a time of testing for the disciples. But if they wait, if they see this through, that God's going to do something incredible through the Holy Spirit and his power post-resurrection. And so Jesus closes up this farewell discord by giving them these truths that they are going to implement. We, look, this works. They implement these things. Their lives are changed through the Holy Spirit, 
And we sit here today because they literally turned the world upside down. They did. We're here following Christ in a church because the apostles, filled by the Holy Spirit, went out and followed the commands of Jesus. And so this isn't just theory. This is true. So the first thing I want us to see is remember the authority of the Word of God. Look at verse 25. Jesus says, I have said these things to you, to the disciples, in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but I will tell you plainly about the Father. So if you've read the Gospels, if you study the Gospels, if you've been here during much of this series, you know that Jesus taught a lot in parables. He delivered truth in the form of stories. And one of the reasons Jesus did this, there were several reasons, but one of the reasons was he knew that they would not, his disciples, understand the full significance and power of what he's giving them until after his resurrection, after his ascension, and after the Holy Spirit comes. And so he's telling these things in parables, and again, they just are not, we know, they're not getting it. They haven't got much of what Jesus has said because their mindset is so different. And I think some of it is because your mindset's different that you don't plug into truth and allow it to come deep into your heart. We can hear it. We can, like, we, we, we process it at some level, but it doesn't sink in. Much like the professor or the teacher in my history class who said, repetition's the best teacher, but he didn't repeat anything that made a difference in history to me, apparently. The same thing is true with the Holy Spirit's work in our life, that we have to understand that we have to hunger and thirst for the truth that he's giving us and not just allow it just to flow in. I could stand up here today and say, look, I'm going to tell you just the easiest, simplest method for when you go backpacking that you can turn dirty water into clean water and drinkable water. All right? All right, so write these three things down, how you're going to do this. And some of you are going to be like, okay, never backpacked in my life, never planned to backpack in my life. I, I'm, if I go to, on a hike, I'm going to take a bottle of water with me. I'm sure not going to get it out of the creek, all right? So you're, you're going to discard the information. A few of you may say, well, I, I might do that one day, so that might be good to hear and listen, but I'll Google it later. But if you're going on a backpacking trip later today, you're probably like, oh, he might have some tips there for me to really like gravitate to and hold to because it might help me in the next few days. See, as long as we see Scripture and the Holy Spirit and Jesus' commands as maybe something that we do off the distance or maybe it's something later on this week and it's not something we need urgently, then we're not going to really take it deep into our soul, into our hearts. And so the disciples, they didn't understand. They didn't have the right thinking to think uh, that they needed this stuff the way that they need it. But post resurrection, post-ascension, the Holy Spirit comes, they realize Jesus isn't with them anymore, right? They've they got this task to do, this mission this to, to accomplish, and Jesus isn't there physically, but he's left them with something even better, his Holy Spirit. And so they're still thinking, this kingdom's coming, we're going to be in positions of power and authority, and Jesus is going to just run out the Romans, and we're going to rule. That's their thinking. And so Jesus said, look, the time's coming when I'm going to just plainly tell you about these things. And again, they, when the book of Acts rolls around, we see they finally got it. But at this point, they don't get it. But Jesus promised them, back in verse 13, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. When the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to guide you. He doesn't speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. So the Holy Spirit's coming. Give the words of Jesus. Make the words of Jesus come alive. Help them to remember 
the words of Jesus. So after the resurrection, the ascension back into heaven, and, and the spirit of truth comes, he's going to guide them into truth. And through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, we have those words. We have the truth. We have what Jesus wanted us to know through them. And we have, get this, we have everything we need right here. Through the word of God, the authority of God, and through the Holy Spirit working through this book. How do I know that? I know it not on my own authority, but on the word of God. When Peter said, you've been given everything you need for life and godliness. And these guys were witnesses to the resurrection. They were the first preachers of the gospel. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they had this unique role of establishing the church and recording God's word. And so the hour and time was coming when Jesus would make the Father and his will and his plan known to them. They would fully understand it. Something would happen after the resurrection, after the ascension, after the Holy Spirit. But look, remember this. It's not yet for them. All right? Remember that. In a verse we'll see in a few seconds, it's not yet. And so today we have the privilege of looking back on the cross. And we have the privilege of looking back and seeing that we have the word that God gave. And as I said in my prayer, the Holy Spirit and the word work in tandem with one another. What does that word tandem mean? All right? For those who are younger or maybe those who didn't study vocabulary in school, right? Tandem, think of a tandem bicycle, right? A tandem bicycle. What happens if you get on there and you ride with another person? You have to be in sync and pedal together. I've never actually ridden a tandem bicycle, but this other deal over here, Michelle and I, one time when Shelby was just a baby years and years ago at Jekyll Island, we rented one of these things and we rode this thing. We went out for a five-mile ride and ended up on a 20-mile ride accidentally because of some wrong turns, all right? But, but I just remember us having to work together to, to, to pedal this thing and to steer this thing. And what happens if you're not working in sync with one another, it doesn't go very well. Think about canoeing. If you've canoed with somebody, right, and they're pedaling one way harder than you're pedaling this way harder, then you're going circles or crooked all over the, the river. And so we work in tandem. The Spirit and the Word work in tandem with one another. Let me quickly, I, I've talked about this before, but this is so critical. I'm going to just kind of deviate slightly and talk about how the Word and the Spirit work together. Colossians 3.16. Paul writes this. He says, Let the Word of Christ, the Word of Christ, dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. And then what happens? You're singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. And so when we center our lives upon the word of Christ, this is the outcome. But in Ephesians, Paul says a lot of the same word, words, but he says that we are to be filled with the Spirit. So before he said the word of Christ, you're just filled up with the word. And now he says you're filled with the Spirit, and what happens? You're addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. So when the word comes alive by the power of the Holy Spirit, he puts a song in your life and in your heart, and it changes you. And so all this I gave at the forefront about distressors and anxiety and depression. Jesus says, center upon my word, work in tandem with the Holy Spirit. Believe this to be true. And the Holy Spirit, using the Word, will begin to change your heart. And out of your life, even in the difficulties and the stress and the difficult times that come, you're going to have this song in your heart, Scripture says. 
There's just going to be this melody that's coming out of you. Isn't that what you want? Isn't that the life that you want? And if you are experiencing that at some level, shouldn't we be sharing that boldly with other people? If we have the answer? And I know the tendency sometimes is to say, well, I'm not living it out as good as I should. And so, therefore, I don't want to really tell anybody that. Well, I think, and we'll see in a minute, we have to be honest about our weaknesses and about the flesh and how quickly we can fall into the flesh. But the truth is the truth. And when we're walking in the Spirit and allowing the Word to fill us up, there's something that's different about our life. And so I'm going to give a warning. Look, we don't worship and just follow a book. We don't. We follow a person, and his name is Jesus Christ. And he was the Word that came and was made flesh and dwelt among us. And everything in this Word points to Jesus Christ. And so when we study the Word, we can, make the, we can make the mistake of doing it just intellectually, just simply intellectually. I want to learn more stuff. And learning is important. We need to know things. But engaging the Holy Spirit through the Word is not just simply only an intellectual experience. Our lives are built around Him. And He gave us the Holy Spirit. And, and the flip side of that is some people we want to err on the side of, like, I, I don't need the Word as much as I just need the Spirit. And you walk around day after day trying to follow some mental promptings you get from the Holy Spirit that's going to drive you crazy, often lead you astray, and make you oftentimes full of guilt because you're hearing secret messages from God apart from the Holy Spirit's work through His Word. All right? And so you have to be in tandem, the Word and the Spirit. The Word and the Spirit work in sync with one another. And so we follow the Holy Spirit as He works in tandem with God's Word and in Christ-centered community. And so we don't need new revelations. We don't need something that, you know, is out there. We don't need more of God in us. Well, look, we have everything we need. First Peter, let's, let's look at the verse. First Peter 1.3. His divine power has granted us all, to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of Him, and that's not just intellectual knowledge, that's experiential knowledge, through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. And so, the authority of the Scripture working in tandem with the Spirit of God. How do we do that? You may say, well, how does that happen? Well, I did in the app include a really excellent link to a sermon by John Piper where he really goes into great detail about this, especially the first 20 minutes. I don't have time to spend on all that today, but I would like to say that when we read the Scripture, we read with the understanding that it does point to Jesus, and it's all for the glory of God. And so when we read a passage of Scripture, we're reading it with the glory of God in mind. And I know, I'm guilty of it too. I open my Bible or my phone app in the mornings, and sometimes the last thing on my mind is the glory of God. God, show me your glory. Show me your greatness, because this life is about you. Like many times, it's just, check it off my list, I did it. God's glory to point people to Jesus. So I encourage you to listen to that sermon or read that article, and Piper goes into more detail about that. So the authority of the Word of God, he reminds him. I'm no longer in parables. Once the Holy Spirit comes, once the ascension, I'm going to show you. I'm going to, in plain words, tell you, here's what the Father is like. The second thing, remember the power of praying in Jesus' name. He talked about this already. He brings it up again. Look at verse 26. In that day, what day? Again, after the resurrection, the ascension, the coming of the Holy Spirit. Again, remember that. In that day, 
you will ask in my name, and I do not say that you will, let's try that again, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. So Jesus says, you don't have to ask me to ask my Father. When, I, when our kids were little, I remember occasionally a friend, after church this often happened, a friend would come up to me and say, hey, can, can so-and-so, your kid, Harrison or Colin, come to my house after, um, after church today, right? And sometimes kids would do that. They would be bold and courageous. But a lot of times, they would send somebody else to do their dirty work, right? They'd send my kid to me like, hey, can, so, can I go to so-and-so's house? They ask, he asked me. And so oftentimes, like, the kid would be scared or nervous to come to me himself, and so he would send one of my children to do his work for him. And I, I, as I read this passage, I think about that the fact that we don't have to be scared to go to our Father. Jesus says, you don't have to. I'm not going to be here. Look at, look at verse 28. He says, I came from the Father, and I've come into this world, and now I'm leaving the world, and I'm going to the Father. So he says, I'm going away. You have access to the Father. You don't have to look for me anymore because I'm not going to be here. You go straight to your Father in heaven because you love me, and because you love me, you love him. You, I revealed him to you. So as I've mentioned many times in this series, in John, Jesus always said, so often he said, I only do what I see the Father doing. I'm going to do what the Father does. And I'm sure the disciples looked at this and they were like, wow, I wish we had that kind of communication with the Father, that we could get those commands and orders from God like Jesus gets them. And Jesus' teaching in this passage is, through the Holy Spirit, now we, in Jesus' name, we can go and have that same access to God because we have the Word of God revealed to us, we have the Spirit of God, and they work together to reveal the will of God to us. And so he says, if you ask in my name. Now, we've talked about this when Jesus brought it up earlier. Asking in Jesus' name is not some magic formula that you rub on your prayer. It's not the code words you say to get what you want. Praying in Jesus' name means that you understand that you're in Christ, He is in you, and your desire, your whole life is about His will and His purposes. And so I'm praying in Christ. I'm in Christ, praying in His name, in the name of Jesus. So it's not about me getting a new motorcycle or me getting a new vacation come July. Praying in Jesus' name is saying, I want to know the Father's will just like Jesus knew the Father's will. Jesus wasn't spending His time on earth doing frivolous and worthless and pointless things. He came. He was on a mission. And according to Christ, that's the, what he's put us on. He's put us on a mission. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. And so we've been given a mission. And so we don't have to figure out, like, how should I approach this? We approach God in the name of Jesus. And it's amazing the access that we have. Back when I was a teenager, you all learned way too much about me preaching up here, right? When I was a teenager, for fun, I felt it'd be interesting if I called the White House and see if I could talk to the President of the United States. And, and I thought, okay, well, I got the number. I'm going to call. So I called, and as you can imagine, they almost laughed when I asked to speak to the President of the United States. But then I was directed to a, another person. And then at that person, I said, I need, I need to speak to the office of the President. I need to speak to the President. Well, 
let's transfer you to here. And I never even got the White House the first, all right? I got routed somewhere else. And then I got routed again, and I got routed again. Look, I couldn't even get to the assistant to the assistant of the president, all right? There was no way of doing it. So humanly speaking, there's all these layers that we have to go through in order to get to an important person. Look, some of you maybe came from a tradition of faith where there was somebody you had to go to in order to really talk to God, right? You had to go and God maybe in a booth or you had to talk to somebody else and, and they interceded for you on, on, on your behalf. Scripture doesn't say that. Jesus said, look, you can go to the Father, straight to the Father. You don't have to go through a bunch of layers to get to me. Come straight to me and you pray in Jesus' name. And the disciples praying in Jesus' name, they knew what that meant one day when they came to Acts and they understood, like, in Jesus' name. This is all for Jesus. And so that's in Jesus' name. So that's the second thing to remember. Jesus says, do it in Jesus' name. Pray in Jesus' name. Ask whatever you want, he says, in Jesus' name, because I'm aligning myself with God's will. And then the third thing, remember the weakness of your flesh. Remember the weakness of your flesh. Now, Jesus didn't use these exact words, but as we'll see over again, over again in this gospel, he's reminded the disciples of their wrong perspectives. And even in this farewell discourse, he chastised Peter. And we're going to be reminded of that in just a second. Look at verse, verse 29. His disciples said, Oh, now you're speaking plainly and not using figure, figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. That sounds pretty good, right? That sounds pretty good. But the truth is, what did Jesus just say to them? He says, you're going to one day understand. This is all going to come into crystal clear view at some point. But that point ain't yet, right? It ain't here. But they, as typically, they jump ahead and their understanding is largely lacking, and they think that this moment, all right, we get it now, Jesus. No, you don't get it. And look, Jesus, which I know you may find it hard to believe that Jesus answers sarcastically, but there's this, this underlying sarcasm in verse 31. Jesus answered them, do you now believe? Do you now believe? I mean, this is reminiscence of when God came to Adam after the sin and said, Adam, where are you, right? God really needed to know his location? No. He was asking a question because he needed Adam to reflect upon how did you get in this situation in the first place where you're hiding from me. So Jesus is asking them, really? All right, you, you believe? You understand? And he's constantly reprimanding his disciples for their overconfidence and their focus on their own abilities and their own understanding when oftentimes it's way short of where it should be. And so Jesus, he knows the disciples failed to understand what's about to happen coming up here in just a few short hours. In fact, he says it. Look at verse 32. He says, Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come. It's here. When you will be scattered, each to your own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I'm not alone, for the Father is with me. So earlier in this farewell discourse, what did Peter say? Arrogantly, full of pride, he said, Jesus, I'll lay my life down for you, right? I'll give it all for you. And we know from the story that Peter did exactly the opposite of that, right? He ran, he hid. And Jesus says the same thing to them all, to them all in verse 32. He says, look, you're going to scatter. 
So you think you get it. You think you know it. Do you believe? Really? You believe. If you believed, you wouldn't be running and hiding in just a few hours. You see, pride and overconfidence can be so destructive to us. We get a little more knowledge, know a little bit more theology, and all of a sudden, you know, we've kind of arrived. What happens when we have these delusions of our own strength? Then we fail to run to God for His grace to meet us in every situation that we encounter. You see, you don't pray desperately for the things that are in your abilities. You pray desperately for the things that are outside of your abilities. But I'm here to tell you that everything is outside of our abilities when it comes to God's kingdom coming and his will being done. Because we can do nothing on our own. Only what God does through us. And so there's this attitude that should permeate our hearts and our minds even as we read the word and even as we pray and ask the Spirit to guide us that, God, please allow me not to fail today. And you know, when I said that, most of you probably thought, yeah, I need to pray that I won't have a moral failure. I'm not just talking about moral failure. I'm talking about we failed, get this, we failed when we live a good day apart from the leading and guiding of the Holy Spirit. You go to work and you build something successful or accomplish something or network, or pull something off, or make the sale. You do all these things. You come home. How's your day been, honey? It's been a good day. But Jesus was the last thing on your mind today. His will, his kingdom coming, the spiritual work that he's doing. God, I only want to do what I see you doing. Then it really wasn't a good day. It was a satisfying day from a fleshly standpoint. But it wasn't the kind of day that Jesus wants us to live. And so I think being mindful right off the, the bat when you're in the Word in the morning, God, I need you because today will be a failure. I need you because I will do just things within my own strength today if you don't show up. That's being mindful of what God wants to do. We remember the weakness of the flesh. And then the fourth one, verse 33. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So what is Jesus saying there? He's saying, remember that peace is possible. Why? Because Jesus has overcome the world. He's telling his disciples even though it's going to look really grim and rough and difficult these last few, next few days. And you're going to doubt and question whether really I've overcome the world. Trust me, you don't see the big picture. You're going to very soon when the Holy Spirit comes, you're going to see the big picture. But for the next couple days, it's going to feel like hell. It's going to feel horrible. It feels like Satan himself is coming down upon you. And you're going to look at Jesus on the cross and you're going to see him being spit upon, mocked, laughed at, ridiculed, beaten, crucified, and killed and go to a grave. What do you think they're thinking during that time? Wow, what a failure. Jesus' plan has been a failure. 
But we know it's not the end of the story, right? They don't know that at this point. He's given them a promise. He's saying, I'm leaving you with my peace. In this world, you're going to have tribulation. But take heart. I'm accomplishing, accomplishing a work on the cross and through my resurrection that changes everything. I'm accomplishing something that's going to bring victory to all those who will look at the cross and see the empty grave and place their faith and trust in Jesus. That's how he has overcome the world. That's the gospel. He's overcome the world through the gospel. And so how do we to, to think about that? He says to look, to remember it, take heart. I've overcome the world. Remember that truth. I've overcome the world. On the cross, I'm overcoming the world. In the grave, I'm overcoming the world. And then you're going to get it when I arise from the grave. And when I ascend back to heaven, I send the Holy Spirit to you. You're going to get it. And they do get it. Again, they go out and turn the world upside down. And so suffering is hard. Think about the disciples in those moments, in those days. How lonely and discouraged they felt. But you know what? Some of you can relate to that. Not to the level of seeing Jesus taken, beaten, and crucified. But you're going through your own personal, really hard, dark, difficult time right now. And suffering can be a super lonely experience, can it not? You feel very, very alone. I mean, people come up to you and they'll say, I'm praying for you and people in your group are you know, encouraging you. But at the end of the day, it's a very, very lonely time. And you're going through the distress and the depression and all these things that are so typical in our society. And it feels like maybe God's abandoned you. But that's where we preach the truth of Jesus to our hearts. Take heart. I have overcome the world. It's Romans 8. It's what can people do against you if God's for you? Nothing can happen outside of God's plan and purpose. And you preach that again and again to yourself. That's what Jesus is telling us. He's saying, take art. I've overcome the world. He's given them a little picture of what it means in the future to preach the gospel again and again to yourself. Are you doing that? When, when you don't get that parking spot, do you preach the gospel to yourself? Or when you find out you have cancer, do you preach the gospel to yourself? When you find out that life is just turned terrible and you've lost everything, or the line is long at Walmart, do you preach the gospel to yourself? I mean, some of us are good at the big moments maybe, but the small moments is where we miss out on the fact the thousand moments where we should be preaching the gospel to ourselves and living out God's will. Let's see the big picture, that God's in control. Jesus died and rose again. And we can have peace even in the midst of whatever we're going through. And so let's sum this up with our head, heart, and hands application. We repeat what's important, all right? Let that sink in. And don't just remember, repeat what's important, all right? The mistake I made in high school. Repeat for us means build habits and routines around the things that are important in your home, in your life. Be attentive to and intentional about what you love what you love. And you know what? I can say confidently and firmly to Christians in here, if you're truly a believer, that Jesus is the love of your life. All right? The Holy Spirit's in you, and you're following him, and he's in control of you. He's the love of your life. You may 
not be in touch with that at this moment. There's a lot of other things that are competing and idols in your life right now, maybe. But Jesus is the foundational identity because Scripture tells us that. Not based on my words, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. Galatians 2.20. So our foundational, main, primary, essential identity in this life is Jesus' follower. Child of God. And out of that, we build our routines and we're intentional about the things that we do. And we repeat the things that are important. And so for our hands application today, I want you to just pick one of these because I know how it works. I've sat in your seat last week. And when I got to Monday to type my email out, okay, what stood out to me? It took me a minute. A day later, I thought during the sermon, I was like, man, it's a great sermon. Wow, I'm so glad Ray came. Next day, I'd forgotten already most of the content of the sermon because we're busy people. Pick one thing out of this list to do. Begin to read the Word of God in tandem with the Spirit of God. There's one. Begin to read the Word of God in tandem with the Spirit of God. Second one, begin praying in Jesus' name. All right, you may say, well, I pray. I finish every prayer off in Jesus' name. No, I mean, really. Like, hey, Jesus, what are you doing? Because I'm praying in your name, and I need to know what you're about and what you're up to. And I see your word, and I want to apply this, illuminate this into my life today. Three, admit to God the weakness of your flesh and seek God's grace. Some of you have over-elevated your spirituality. You think you're stronger than you are. Scripture makes it clear, be careful. If you think you stand, you're going to fall. Stay humble. Some of you need to focus on number three. Number four, preach the gospel to yourself. Jesus has overcome the world. You need to just keep preaching that. You're in the midst of of trials and tribulations and darkness right now, and, and you feel discouraged. Maybe you've been abandoned by somebody who loves you, and you just need to keep preaching the gospel to yourself. Jesus has overcome the world, and his peace is available because he lives. And like Hebrews chapter 11, the heroes of the faith who had this incredible faith, some of them experienced what they were looking for during that time, but others, it wasn't until after they died that they understood and saw Jesus face to face. They understood what the foundation of their faith was. Some of them gave everything for the faith, and they met the reward in heaven. And some people, you're going to have a tough life. It's going to be a difficult life. And And the joy that you experience may not be the laughter and happiness that you hope for. But you can trust the fact that Jesus has conquered the world and overcome the world. And you're going to go to him one day. And all of eternity pales into comparison. I mean, just this little sliver we have of this life, and we have all eternity to celebrate and worship and be with Jesus. So let's keep perspective. So pick one of those four, I hope you will, to focus on this week. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this closing teaching section of this farewell discourse. What an amazing chapters of Scripture that we've had time to study and just slow down and just go through and just allow your word just to soak into our hearts and our lives, God. And I pray that you'll help us to truly take your word and apply your word, God. Help us to really allow the Spirit and the word to work together in our life in order to make us more aware of what you're doing, God. Help us to see that we've given, given everything we need for life and godliness in Christ Jesus. And God, I pray you'll help us to walk in the Spirit and allow the Word of Christ to fill us up. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.